Well, we begin another week. What this week holds, we don't know. But Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Every day has enough trouble of its own. You and I have to learn to live in the now. And in the now, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We know it will be good because God is with us. God's going to watch over you. God's going to care for you. God's going to bless the work of your hands this week. Now let's go back to Psalms 91 with one of our children's recitations as we remember the foundation stone of faith in this season. Psalms 91, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for He will deliver you from the snare of the polar and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. He will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that weighs at noonday. A thousand may pull at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion the other, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot, because he, he holds past Pass to me in love, I will answer him. I will deliver, I will deliver him. him, I will protect him, but because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will deliver I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. As we go to prayer today, I think we're all aware that the government is beginning to talk about another uh, enhanced quarantine or modified enhanced quarantine for us in Metro Manila. And for some families, that doesn't mean anything, okay? I mean, work from home, work from the office, you get paid the same. In fact, if anything, it reduces your expenses. But for a lot of our families, that enhanced quarantine was, those were hard days to live. And if they do it again, it's gonna be hard days to live. We've been learning how to get by. So I challenged you last weekend in the services about the daily seed. It's not about raising money. It's about raising people. It's about learning a life that's not afraid of zero. It's about learning a life of generosity, consistent generosity. That woman went all through the famine. And it answers the question many of you have, like, why doesn't God give me a whole bunch of money all at once? Because if God did, every relative, every person who thinks they know you at all will become your very best friend and everybody wants a piece. But if God provides for you like he provided for that widow woman in Zarephath, where every day you go unnoticed, nobody notices. No, nobody notices. God knows how to prosper you and add no trouble to it. Remember the scripture. So don't be surprised if during this season God prospers you on a daily consistent basis. No big windfalls, but just a daily consistent provision. Why would he do that? Because that way, nobody notices. Your family goes to bed with full bellies every night. God blesses the work of your hand every day, and nobody notices you. You have to understand, in desperate times, desperate people do desperate things. So God does things in a way that brings no trouble to our families. But all that to say this, for those of you that you're getting paid the same, 
whether you go to the office or whether you work from home, may, may I encourage you to join me in prayer this morning and every day, praying for the financial provision. We've got about 20% of our members right now, because remember, we call all of our members constantly. We've got about 20% of our members right now that are still no work, no pay. They're, they're making their money selling. And, you know, they're, they're doing good, but we don't need this enhanced quarantine. But I want you to pray for all of our people that are working so hard, just making something and selling it, that God will bless them. Father, we bring you the members of our church that have been working so hard. Father, they're just beginning, but they're learning lessons, Lord, that will, that will take them for the rest of their life. Young people are learning lessons of entrepreneurship, lessons of selling, lessons of making what people want to sell and how to sell. Father, they're learning lessons that will prosper them for the rest of their lives. But Father, whereas we're thankful for that, we ask you bless the work of the hands of our people. Father, that every child go to bed with a full belly in Jesus' name. That all the Morocco bills are paid. That all the water bills are paid. That all the rents and mortgage payments are paid. That all the bills are paid and paid on time so that they have a good name. That they don't go to bed worrying about what's going to happen when the phone rings the next time. All bills paid, Father. Not just full bellies. All bills paid. Father, bless the work of the hands of your people. And Father, for those that are beginning just today on a daily seed, Father, let them see. Let them see how simple this is. Let them see how every day as they, they sow a seed, every day you bring a blessing. Let them see your hand at work within their life. Let the children, let the young people see the blessing and the provision of God. Let them see the reality of God's hand upon their family. We thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's open up our hearts now and spend some time in worship. Amen. Lord, as we go into such a beautiful, beautiful presence. In your presence, Lord. Yes, Lord. In your presence, Lord, the peace of God. Lord, in your presence is everything we need. And in your word, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, for walking with us and Walking in the rain, Lord, 
Our New Testament passage today picks up in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, with one of the most quoted verses in Christendom, and rightly so. So let's start with verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So here's one of these beautiful in Christ truths. Now, let me encourage you to have a little notebook and keep track of all the times it talks about what happens because we are in Christ. Remember the the balloon, and you know I can't draw, the balloon with the, the teddy bear inside? Well, the balloon is Jesus. The teddy bear is us. We are in Christ. Now, when you're in Christ, for those who are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. Before, there was condemnation. But now, there is no condemnation. You will find no condemnation coming from the Father. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin of death. So here's another in Christ truth. And I don't dare get to talking about this too much or I'll preach. The law of the Spirit of life. Now that's a great law. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. All right, so we have a different law. This law triumphs over this law. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Now notice, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. So the law was perfect, but it is weakened by man's flesh. So the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. So God did something the law could not do. So, all right, again, God is stronger than the law. For God has done what the law, and see, for the Jews, this is incredible revelation because they put their whole hope of salvation in the law. God has done what the law could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So, all right, Jesus was sent in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus, number two, was sent for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. In order, or so that, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. All right, so God's law fulfilled. All the righteous requirements of the law are fulfilled in us by what Jesus did for us. Let me say that again. All the requirements of the law are fulfilled in us by what Jesus did for us. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. All right. So what is the focus of your mind? If you focus your mind on pornography, and please, you know, let's just be open and honest with each other. All right. You know, in the middle of this lockdown for over five months now, many of you have uh, gone and looked at things online that you shouldn't have gone and looked on. And the problem is, once you look at that stuff, 
there's a memory. And once there's a memory, Satan can use that memory against you. And you begin to think about it. And you begin to meditate on it. Now, brothers and sisters, please. You don't set your mind on the flesh. You set your mind on the spirit. That's life and peace. That brings life and that brings peace. You set your mind on this stuff of, of the flesh and it only brings death. You can't set your mind on, oh, I wish I had a drink. Please, guys, come on. We're all big boys. I understand before I was saved. I know that, boy, a beer would taste good right about now. You set your mind on that thing. Oh, man, I'd really like a cigarette right about now. Man, I'd like a smoke. Please, I didn't grow up Christian. I understand. You set your mind on those things, and it's death. You set your mind on the spirit, and it's life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, you're, you're going to have to get a control of your mind. This is why Paul said we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You, you get your mind set on the flesh. Hostility toward God is the fruit of that. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Now, this is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. So this does not equal the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it does equal salvation, because at salvation, the Holy Spirit comes in us, okay? The Holy Spirit comes in us at salvation. And when the Holy Spirit comes in you, you belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life because of righteousness, all right? Christ is in you. The body is, is dead because of sin. There's, there's death in your body. You will decay and die but the Spirit is life. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, there's the Holy Spirit, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit. So the agency of healing. The agency of healing equals the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. Life dwells within you. Now, some of you that are sick in your body this morning, you just need to sit down and take a look at that and go, now, wait a minute. The Holy Spirit, life, is within me. And that same Holy Spirit that brought salvation to me, that same Holy Spirit that, that raised Jesus from the dead, that same Holy Spirit will give life to this mortal body. The Holy Spirit is a tremendous agency of healing. Life is within you. Reach out and receive your healing this morning. So then, dear brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Remember, death means separation. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Have a walk with God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Notice not sons and daughters, only sons. Now, you, you just need to keep getting a hold of this. God has no daughters. He only has sons. Now, this is a spiritual thing, all right? We're not saying that we are all unisex. I'm not saying that at all. 
What I am saying is that every one of us is a son of God. We are a joint heir with Jesus. We are equal we are equal heirs. God doesn't have a second-class heir. Remember, for the most part, ladies, daughters, did not receive heirship except under special conditions. But in Christ, he said, listen, we're all heirs. It's a lot of teaching there. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Notice, fall back. When, when you get a hold of slavery, when you get a hold of becoming, when you yield yourself to sin again and become a slave to it, you fall back into fear. Fear begins to control you. But you have received the spirit of adoption, one of the names of the Holy Spirit. One of the names of the Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption. As sons, we've already talked about that, we cro- by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. All right, so how do we know I saved? How to know you're saved. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. Now remember, you and I are body, soul, and spirit. In fact, in actuality, we are a spirit and we have a body and a soul. The spirit part of a man is where God speaks. This is where God speaks. The spirit speaks to our spirit that we are the children of God. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided, here's a condition, we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. In other words, we understand that in this world we're going to face persecution. This suffering here does not equal sickness, poverty, failure, etc. It does equal persecution. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Most of my life, cause I knew no other way. I tried and tried to always fail because of what I said. Then one day I just met the man who took away all of my sin. He took me away from my losing ways and taught me how to win. I cannot be defeated, no.
We're going to pick up today with Ezra chapter 3, verse 1. Remember with me that Ezra has brought the people of Israel back to the promised land under the orders of King Cyrus, the uh, head of the Persian Empire. He has decreed that God spoke to him to rebuild the temple of God. And so he tells all the Jewish people who want to go back and help rebuild the temple of God, you may be free to go, and he tells everybody to give them gold and silver and whatever they need uh, for their journey and for the construction of God's house. Now, verse 1. When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in the towns. The people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. So, all right. Before construction, families settled. So they didn't go back and just immediately start work on the temple. First, the families went back to their own towns. They found their homes. They got settled in. Then they gathered to Jerusalem. Then arose Joshua, the son of Jehazdak, with the fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So they needed to know what to do. So they needed design, and they needed instructions. So they went back to the law of Moses, because it's all laid out right there. They didn't, they didn't try to copy the design of something that they saw in Persia. They went back. This is what God said he wanted. See, folks, if you and I would just learn that God has things he wants done a certain way, and forgive me, he has the right to say, I want it done a certain way. They set the altar in its place, all right? So the altar had a place. They'd, they didn't make up a new place for it. Let's be creative here now, and let's, let's think about where it would look best. No, no, there was a place for the altar. For fear was on them because of the people of the lands, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. Because of the people of the land, they were afraid. So a cause of fear, enemies. They kept the Feast of Booths, as it is written, and they offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offering, the offerings for at the new moon and all the appointed feasts of the Lord and the offerings for everyone who made a free will offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but the foundation of the temple was not yet made, laid. So, okay, we had an altar, but no temple. Remember, the temple had been completely destroyed by Babylon. They had burned it with fire. So Solomon's temple is no more. So they gave money to the masons and carpenters and food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrrhenians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa according to the grant that they had from the king of Persia. Ark, the king of Persia had said, whatever you need, this, you have the grant. Now in the second year after their coming to the house of God in Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel the son of Shatiah and Yeshua the son of Jazdak made a beginning. All right, so temple construction begins. together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, who had come to Jerusalem from captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. The, and Yeshua, with his sons and his brothers, Kadmiel, his sons and the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen. 
in the house of God, along with the sons of Hanadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord. Okay, now here we have foundation laid. Now, isn't that amazing? By the time the Babylonians finished burning it, and now all these years had gone by, even the foundation stones had been taken away. Now, brothers and sisters, you just have to understand how much Satan hates the house of God. Any place that you build a house of God, that is an altar for God in this earth. That is a a direct affront to the God of this world that is Satan. And isn't it interesting that Satan wasn't just happy with the burning down of the temple of God. Even the foundation stones were taken away. They had to start from zero. Foundations laid. The priests and their vestments came forward, the trumpets and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of the king of Israel. All right, so again, instructions from the word. They didn't know how to do any of this worship. For a generation, they'd been gone. They had no idea how to do any of this worship. So they returned to the Bible to get instructions. And they sang responsively, I like that, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Again, we've got things started. We can see how big it's going to be now. We can get an idea how it's going to look. The foundations are laid. And again, Isn't it interesting that even the foundation stones were taken away? And when you go back and you study and you see how big those foundation stones were that Solomon used, the uh, people really had to want to destroy that place. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept in a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid though many shouted aloud for joy. Now, why did they weep? We'll see an answer later, but first we have to ask why. So that the people could not distinguish the sound of joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and that sound was heard far away. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin, now these are just the two tribes, heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel. Now notice, the enemies knew this is a temple. Now this is going to be important as we read today. They approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. And we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Ashahadan, king of Assyria, brought us here. Okay, now, think back and remember, they, they said, how do we worship? Remember, the king said, hey, these people are dying over there because they don't know the, the requirements of the God of this land. And so they were taught. So a lot of these people practiced some worship of God, but in kind of a bad way, but that's another study. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the father's houses in Israel said to them, you have nothing to do with us in building the house of our God, but we alone will build 
to the Lord, the God of Israel, as the king of Cyrus, king of Persia, has commanded us. All right, so they say, we received authority from the king Cyrus, the king of Persia, okay? We were told to do this. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build. <laughs> so it's amazing. First, we want to join you. And when they wouldn't let them join, now they try to discourage. This is a typical building program. There's always people that say, we want to be a part. So they say, we want to be a part. But what they, this is, this is the truth. They don't want this thing built. And they bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Dairus, king of Persia. All right, so now we're going through two terms of leaders. So remember, it takes a long time in those days to do construction. So this is not easy construction. Every day of their life, people have been hired to frustrate them. Every day of their life, everything they do is challenged. So, well, how could they have done that? Well, you remember Cyrus said people were to help them and send money and they had grants and everything. Well, probably these counselors went and muddied the waters and made that more difficult to get materials and supplies. So, you know, there were people working full time. This is a full time job. This is a full time job to slow down the construction. And in the reign of Ahuras, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. All right, so now we are in our third ruler of Persia. Third ruler. Now notice this is a transition. Now, when you see multiple rulers, you need to watch out for the third one. The first ruler, which is Cyrus, he knows what he said and wanted done. The run after him, Dairus, he would have heard and been in the court and understanding. By the time you get to the third leader, he doesn't know what Cyrus has said anymore. In the days of Artaxerxes, now here's a fourth leader. Here's a fourth ruler. In the days of Artaxerxes, now here's one letter of accusation. In the days of Artaxerxes, Bishlam, Mithridath, and Tabil, and the rest of their associates wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia. All right, here is the first letter of accusation. Here now is the second letter of accusation. Rehom the commander and Shimshai the scribe wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes, the king, as follows. Rehom the commander, Shimshai the scribe, and the rest of their associates, the judges, governors, officials, the Persians, the men of Erech, the Babylonians, the men of Susa, that is, the Elamites, and the rest of the nations whom the great and noble Onapar deported and settled in the cities of Samaria and in the province, the rest of the province beyond the river. This is a copy of the letter they sent. Quote, 
To Artaxerxes the king, your servants, the men of the province beyond the river, send greeting. And now, let it be known to the king that the Jews who came up from you, from you to us, have gone to Jerusalem. All right, that is true. They are rebuilding the rebellious and wicked city. That is false. They are finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. That is false. Now remember earlier, they knew they were building the temple. Now be it known to the king that if this city, we're not, they, they weren't rebuilding the city, they were rebuilding the temple. If this city is rebuilt and walls finished, they will not pay tribute, custom or toll, and the royal revenue will be impaired. It's all about money. Now, because we eat the salt of the palace and it is not fitting for us to witness the king's dishonor, let's call that sip, sip. Therefore, we send and inform the king in order that a search may be made in the book of the records of your fathers. You will find in the book of the records and learn that this city is a rebellious city, hurtful to kings and the provinces, and that sedition was stirred up in it from old. That is why the city is laid to waste. All right, so past is used. I would say past is used selectively. Now, brothers and sisters, always be careful when people practice selective truth. Everything they say is true. Sometimes I call this specific speech. Everything these people said is true. Everything they said was true, except their premise was the Jews are building the walls of the city. And the Jews were not. They were rebuilding the temple. Very, very different. So they move from a false present, false premise, and then use truth to support a false premise. So truth used to support a false premise. Now, this, this is a big deal. You see this everywhere in the world today. We make known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and the walls finished, you will have no possession in the province behind the river. The king sent an answer to Rehom and the commander and Shimshai the scribe and the rest of their associates who live in Samaria and in the rest of the province beyond the river greeting. And now the letter you sent us had been plainly read to me and I made a decree and a search has been made and it has been found that this city from of old has risen against kings and that rebellion and sedition has been made in it. Yeah, it's all true. But he's looking in wrong place because of wrong premise. I always just say kasi. Kasi, wrong premise. If they had said, let a search be made. These people are rebuilding the temple of God. They would have searched and found that Cyrus had decreed, and forgive me, once those guys made a decree, no one could overrule it. It had to be done. But they weren't looking for Cyrus's decree because the false premise supported by truth is what they were looking for. And mighty kings had been over Jerusalem who ruled over the whole province beyond the river to whom tribute, custom, and toll were paid. Therefore, make a decree that these men be made to cease and that this city be not rebuilt until the decree is made by me. All right, so the law 
do not rebuild the walls and city. And take care not to be slack in this matter. Why should damage grow to the hurt of the king? Now, when the copy of Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum, Shimshai, and their associates, they went in haste to the Jews at Jerusalem and by force and power made them cease. Then the work of the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem stopped, and it ceased until the second year of Dairus, the king of Persia. Now notice, false premise. On the foundation of truth equals bad equals a correct decision, but the false premise is not implemented. They didn't stop the rebuilding of the city because the city wasn't being rebuilt. The fault the the correct decision was used as a tool to stop the temple. Th this is all a game of smoke and mirrors. A and you see this in, in, in the world today, especially in politics. A false premise is presented. Truth is used to support the false premise. And then people get the decision they want and then use it to destroy what was really being done and what should have always been done. But you see, that's what you can do when things are far away and people can't see what you're really doing. And that's exactly how the construction of the rebuilt temple of God was stopped until the second reign of Darius, king of Persia. God bless you. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock.